We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. And welcome to another Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me, Lean, from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot and Paul will be discussing the Manchester United defeat. As you can imagine, it's going to be a rather sombre podcast this week. A good few days later and the mood hasn't lifted very much. What is there to say that hasn't already been said? Man for man, we were superior on paper. But on the pitch, we were a shadow of um, my former selves. I don't know. I still can't quite understand uh, what went wrong at Old Trafford. We had a very strong team out and um, we didn't perform. Lots of questions, but not many answers at the moment. A lot of the answers banded about at the moment are all sort of just opinions, really. That's all we have right now. What's going on with our attack? We obviously had defensive issues uh, at Man United, but if it's, it's the attacking part of our game now. It's really confusing. We've got players like Ozil and Alexis and... Theo Walcott and Aaron Ramsey, and we're just not creating chances and scoring goals. What's, what's going on? I don't get it. Are they all off form at the same time? Is the balance all wrong? Are they lacking confidence? Don't know what the answer is to it. But it's really baffling. A win against Swansea and a win at White Hart Lane would definitely lift the mood, but it's a big ask, really. You can't play like the way we played at Old Trafford and expect to um, win tough games, especially against Tottenham. And that just makes it which makes it so much worse that Spurs are in this position. Yeah, I'm not going to ramble on too much because what I've got to say you've already heard from many places. But um, I should hand you over to uh, Paul and Elliot and uh, let them go for it. So um, enjoy the podcast. Back after Swansea. 
Arsenal play like cunts and lose. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I'll dispense with the sardonic, humorous, or if you listen frequently, attempted to be humorous but never humorous introduction in favor of something that just cuts to the heart of the matter. Uh, the performance was so poor that not only did it take us until now to record a podcast about it, but it scared everybody away except Paul, who on fifth watching found the silver line. <laughs> and it is my pleasure to introduce Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posing in My Pants. Hello, Paul. <laughs> we needed that. Yeah. That, with his dying breath. <laughs> That's all I got um, out. Yeah, look, so I, I just want to throw this out there before we get started. I mean, you and I sometimes come at an issue at a different way, and, and sometimes we even think the same thing, but like to describe it or discuss it in different ways. Um, we're obviously not going to, you know, get at each other here or, or tear, you know, tear our hair out or, or yell and scream at each other. I think we're both pretty disappointed with how they played, but but let's just start with the lineup, I mean, one of the things that's so disappointing, on paper, I think if you surveyed 100% of Arsenal fans, 95% of them would have picked that lineup. That's what everybody wanted to see, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. Uh, I think Tim pretty much called that lineup uh, during the week. Um, and I said, yeah, I like the sound of that. I'll go with that. I discussed a little bit of maybe El Nani versus Ramsey to freshen Ramsey up because he'd uh, worked his uh, sack off against um, Barcelona. But basically, yeah, that was the lineup we, I liked. Uh, the main issue I would have had wa- with it was putting Theo up front. Did we have a plan to use him and a midfield to use him? That would have been my one concern with it, but it was the lineup I wanted, yeah. Yeah, um, and you know, maybe for five or six minutes or so, mm. it strolled around the pitch looking a little bit like the superior side that it should be now. Yeah. I think you know that I'm I'm pretty vocal about the fact that I think we need better players, that we don't have the quality of players we need, and that midfield and up front is where we're particularly lacking. But what I think we can do in this game is isolate the issue of whether we need players because the good news is uh, the war chest has been reported on. So hey. we've got a war chest for the summer, so thank God yeah. for that. Um, but all, all kidding aside... If you just look at the two lineups on paper, and I know that this is not how football works, but realistically, that's a much better Arsenal side. United fans were describing it as their U18 team and a few old guys playing out of position. Um, No excuse for quality, right? This is down to the performance on the day, is it not? Yeah. Uh, The one thing I'd say is just because, like if you take the Rashford example, I mean, it really doesn't matter if he's U18 or if he costs nothing, if he plays really well on the day. So... Did did he play really well in the day? Uh, I mean, did he really trouble us, or did we create the trouble for ourselves with some he did really the, bizarre well, and, and interesting? Yeah, yeah, thing? no, that's valid. But he, I mean, he did his bit. He played well. He didn't he didn't instigate those opportunities, but he capitalized on them. But yeah, I I, I mean, I would certainly argue the three goals were uh, very much of our own making. So, against like three goals against us. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to get to um, the midfield because I think it's really important. But before we do that, obviously, a player that you have a lot of time for, one that I like, but certainly I, I don't think I, I have quite the affection for. Oh yeah, I'll oh, give them all to me today. Oh yeah, thanks. Well, no, I, I only because I, you yeah. know, Theo obviously has been a big point of debate. I don't even think debate is the right word. Um, yeah. He's been. 
a, a whipping post really after the match. And, and I'm not going to necessarily say he didn't deserve it, but as someone who doesn't think we're as dynamic and effective with Giroud on the pitch as I do with Walcott, I I think even if you think his standards are low or high or whatever, I thought by his own standards, he was very poor yep. for you as someone who, you know, sees the best in Theo and, and is an admirer of his game. What did you take away from his performance on Sunday? Well, uh, I thought Ian Wright's examination match of the day was good, but people only remember one half of it, which was some of the runs Theo could have made that he didn't. But he also pointed out the runs Theo did make that weren't found by anybody. Uh, one by Alexis, one by, you know, Koscielny strolling through midfield with the ball, which is great, but he's not the guy to, you know, to to put the ball through to Theo for the run. So I, I think it's a mix of both. Definitely, don't get me wrong, Theo's not in good form. And earlier this year where he seemed to be doing the right things for us and playing really well, he still wasn't really converting, but it worked for us because the runs were right and it was tugging the opposition and and having an impact in changing how they played. Unfortunately, at the moment, Theo being on the pitch doesn't help us uh, in the sense that he's not scoring. It doesn't help us because he's not getting any touches, and it doesn't help us because the opposition's free to kind of ignore kind of ignore him because the runs he makes aren't picked up, and now he's starting to not make runs because they're not starting to find him. So. Mm-hmm. Playing Theo makes no sense because we don't have a plan to use them. We we used to have a couple of players who could find him, but if you put Schneiderlin on Ozil and keep him quiet all game, who's going to find the put the balls through to uh, Theo? You know, Alexis is going to try and run with the ball for himself probably, etc. etc. As you go around the pitch, there's no rely. When we had Santi and Ozil, we always had a way of creating angles and passes for the Theos of this world. So right now, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Without a couple of ball players, uh, without a distributor from midfield, we didn't have, we don't have, I'm not sure how we're going to have a plan to use Theo. It doesn't make sense to start and bring him on after 70 minutes. Disappointing, but that's where it's at. Yeah, because truthfully, I mean, even in his good games, when he is good, he doesn't get a lot of touches. He doesn't play a lot of passes. His his effectiveness is more without the ball than with it. Yeah, and, and the threat. So if you don't have yeah. controlling, well, if you don't have controlling players around him, yeah. he doesn't add any measure of control. Um, I'm not someone who thinks you can only play him in counterattacking situations. I, I think agree. you can play him in possession games, but I think you have to have effective midfield possession. Yeah. Where and at least players... at least two points, at least two players who can find those angles, because otherwise you close. Remember the old days? You close Arteta down, you close our midfield down. Well, at the moment, if you close Ozil down, you close the angles and the passes. And that was the thing that Santi gave us, another way of, you know, pulling them towards Santi freed up Ozil for, into space to make those passes and those angles. Campbell does it a bit, but, you know, you don't necessarily have that as the reason you want him on the pitch as a playmaker in that corner. But I guess we'll come to options. You know, Campbell on the right wing, uh, unfortunately, he might actually be standing in Theo's spots at, at that stage, but he can make angles, he can make things happen, but he's probably our next best playmaker at the moment after Ozil uh, without Santi mm-hmm. around. The The challenge for me, and the, the biggest problem is, you know, when you watch a team like Spurs, as hard as it is to watch them 
thriving this season, and that doesn't mean they won't still spurs it up, but they play like a team that really understands what they're supposed to do as 11 players. Agreed. The pitch. They, look, they look like a unit that's all working towards the same goal. You see that with Guardiola sides, whether you like the way Guardiola sets teams up or not, they seem to they seem to know what they're all supposed to be doing on the pitch. And yep. my biggest criticism, you know, after the game, Paul, a lot of people said, oh, they did, there was the intensity. The leadership. Care. Where leadership. was the fight? Where was leadership? Yeah. And you know what? We'll get into that because I think those are valid questions. But more than leadership and fight, I saw 11 players that looked like they didn't understand how they were supposed to be interacting with each other. Amen, brother. So let's let, let's talk midfield for a minute. Um. I can't count the number of times, and I actually went back and didn't watch the whole match because that's your job and I don't want to take it from you, but I sort of sped through when we had possession and sort of glanced. And you, I can't tell you the number of times I saw Coughlin when we had the ball, when our central defenders had the ball, just walk himself over to Mata or uh, Juan Mata or Schneiderlin and just park himself on a United midfielder and mark himself right out of the game. Um, Ramsey would start running forward to basically occupy the area that Ozil wants to be in. And Koscielny and Gabriel, poor guys, had no one to give the ball to. I mean, half the time they had to start the attack themselves and carry the ball in the opposition half. What has happened to our shape and our possession play in midfield? Why is it? I know we've spent a lot of the season overloading on the wings, but against United, it all totally fell apart. Why were we so incapable of building anything up through midfield? I mean, I think the assumption is that two times out of three, Coquelin would go to the Schneiderlin or whoever it is who's kind of marking a little further forward to occupy him to create, you know, to create the vacuum for a Ramsey to drop into. But we just weren't very good at it. Um, and, I mean, we all saw, right, the centre-backs knocking it between each other, not knowing who to pass it to. I mean, I've 100% endorsed the message that, especially as the game progressed and as it looked like 11 players pushing on 11 separate pieces of string as opposed to pulling on a rope together. They didn't know what what to do. After what we were supposed to be doing wasn't working, we didn't seem to have a plan. We didn't seem to be working as a team. And that's where I think the body language, you know, people get, get upset with the players, but I think that's where the body language starts to show up and pe- the players start looking a little switched off. They're not switched off from wanting to win, in fact, I mean, pop psychology here, but I mean, they're all obviously extremely strong competitors or you're not playing at that level. You just, you know, you fall by the wayside and somebody else gets your spot along the way. Uh, Some would argue that's going to happen to these guys. These guys want to win, but being that much of a competitor and realizing that what you're doing isn't making any sense and it's not working and you do some more of this and it's still not going to work you want a new plan you want some direction you know that's where arson leaving it to the players that's where to me you want the manager to know when the time to step in is and change it and maybe just simplify everything i know we took danny off and maybe we needed to take him off but but if you don't know what your plan is then having a going a bit more direct a bit more 442 with with two strikers in there, as we've seen in the past. I mean, we had we brought Giro on with 30 minutes to go, uh, plenty of time to make something happen, but nothing much happened in the last 30 minutes. I mean, we should have been cranking it up, but 
we just seem to frustrate ourselves more and more. And it's it certainly, to me, it's the midfield thing. You don't have a controller, somebody who'll set the pace, somebody who'll annoy the supporters by passing it side to side. And I think that's a big issue of why somebody like a Theo stops making the right runs. It's because Theo doesn't run on his own. It's part of a, you know, it's by feel, it's by instinct. But there's kind of a flow. It's not just him. It's Danny, it's Sanchez, it's Ozil kind of finding spaces, uh, Going, moving back and forward, drifting into pockets. And that rhythm ahead of him is set by the controller in, in midfield, the distributor, the Santi, and the Arteta. We don't have anybody. You know, Coxman doesn't have that vibe or that ability. Uh, Ramsey, I think, earlier in his career seemed to be a bit more that way, but now he's kind of the all-action guy who'll maybe drop into midfield and, and create a pass. But it's not... It's not that setting the rhythm, kicking it, swinging it left, then swinging it right, then deciding to send it back to right, but all because you know how to create a rhythm and create pressure. And we don't have that guy at the moment. You know, uh, Linus had a really good um, series of tweets, I think it was today, about the idea of popping El Nenny into the Ramsey position on the basis that we got to try something different and he looks man most likely to be a bit of a distributor, and I, I agree with that sentiment. I don't know that he can do the job, but he looks more likely than anybody else we've got in midfield at the moment. Yeah, I mean, what I see is that there's such a disconnect between the forward line and the players who are supposed to start the attack and carry the ball from back to front that there's it's just totally disconnected. There There's no rhythm that can develop. There's no uh, interchanging between players. It's not dynamic. It's very static. And, you know, I think you wind up with a situation where Coughlin's marked himself out of the game. Ozil is, you know, tried to advance into those pockets of space right behind the front line. And Koscielny's got the ball at his feet and he sees Aaron Ramsey making a forward run. And he looks, he says, well, who the hell am I supposed to give the ball to? Yeah. Um, you wind up giving it to Nacho or Bellerin under pressure on the wing. Yeah. And and there's there's nowhere to go from that. I think, you know, it, it it's easy to look at the form of players like Theo Walcott and Alexis Sanchez and see that they're really, really struggling for form and look at Aaron Ramsey, who was, I thought, really, really poor um, on Sunday. But the system is failing all of them. Yeah. No one is being put in a position to succeed right now. And I, I you know, it's one thing, you know, it's very easy to draw sweeping conclusions from one really disappointing result. But we've seen the system break down for a really long period. And I would say since Santi went out of the side and Ramsey's moved back into midfield, we have not functioned appropriately in possession as a team. Um, now, that doesn't excuse what happened defensively. So let's touch on that just for a second. And we, we can start with Gabrielle. So obviously on this podcast, we've talked a little bit about Gabrielle, and I've said that I wasn't convinced by him, just that I thought he was a little rash, that he, he wants to dive into challenges, he's, he wants to be aggressive, and he looks a little bit very green, very rusty, not rusty, um, rough around the edges. We saw all of that on display against United. Do you think Murtisacker was benched because of the perception that he was the liability Against Barcelona, do you think it's because the manager in, just sees Gabriel as, as now being first choice? What do you think the thought process was for why Gabriel was played, and, and what did you make of his performance? Uh, I, I'd say it's probably finely balanced, where the manager is is kind of 
poking his nose one that way and then finding that it hasn't worked out, out so well, so pulling his nose back in again. Um, I do think Purr was dropped uh, kind of officially or unofficially uh, based on screwing us over in against Barcelona with with that uh, the creating the penalty situation. I think that really counted against him. And I think we saw uh, just before Gabriel got injured, it seemed to be the case that he was going to get a run of games where the manager's kind of feeling his way. I, I don't think he can get too far ahead of the situation because Per is obviously, in terms of leaders in defense, um, in that back four, you and certainly in this back six that we're looking at at the moment when you add in the two central midfielders, He's if there's one guy who knows what the plan is should be and gives and is the north star to everybody else, you know that's going to be your prayer. And for whatever his the mistake he made against Barcelona and his limitations sometimes in terms of playing a high line, etc. I kind of think that both those goals, their first two goals, don't happen with Per. The one that came in as a header. And the one that Gabriel stuck his foot on that he probably should have put out from behind, but tried to clear forward. You know, those aren't very per kind of goals. That's, those are the kinds of situations he cleans up very well. And him and Kishelny have a much better understanding as to who's on first base. And we've seen that before with, with Gabriel specifically, that ball into the two center backs that he's looking around wondering why somebody else didn't pick him up, but he's actually the closest guy with the best view of the, the attacker. So uh, I agree, he, looks, he still looks very rough around the edges. Uh, fast, physical, exciting and enticing from that standpoint, but maybe not ready for prime time. And yet the manager maybe has misgivings about Purr as the, you know, Every game, every scenario, centre back at the moment, and is itching to find something better. But but maybe he's just the manager's flailing around a little bit, trying to make that two or three changes that makes this a better team, and that's just the best idea he's had, and it's not working. Yeah, I mean it's interesting too because I think he's playing on his weaker side. Yeah, right? I mean, well, certainly, I mean he's a right-footed player. I mean, Naveen was always going on about how he doesn't like. Left side, uh, left sided centre backs who are right footed, which I think when you get into the top four percent of your performance, it, it might be a bit of a concern. But that's not the nature of our problem today. But he, you know, he he was a uh, a left sided centre back, and uh, he should be comfortable on the right side. But it's not his most common position, as I understood it. Yeah. Well, whatever the the explanation, it was a poor showing, and and it's it's really disappointing because I, I mean you're not going to get much better chance to go to Old Trafford and win, and I think yeah. is that part of why the reaction is what it is. I, look, going to Old Trafford and losing is something we should be well used to as a fan base, but um, you look at the makeshift back for the inexperience in the team, the the lack of athleticism in their midfield. Was it fair to go to Old Trafford with the expectation of coming away with victory? Or, or do you think that 
it's never fair to have that expectation in a place like that. Uh, no, I think it was fair. I think if we didn't get victory, we should have been robbed by the referee. That's how we didn't get victory. Or we should have looked like we should have won. Uh, or they should have played really well and it was a draw. But, you know, gosh, valiant effort. You know, we were so far away from all of that. Uh, they were there to be had. I mean, God damn it, we scored two goals against them. And we weren't playing well. Without ever really playing well, yeah. putting them under undue threat. What You know, one, one of the things, too, that I think is getting a lot of attention is substitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, at the time, I actually had a little more sympathy for them or understanding of them, I think, than, than a lot of people. But I'm curious to get your take. There was a lot of questions about why not Joel Campbell instead of Awobi. Mm-hmm. Why the like-for-like like substitution, Elneny for Coughlin, um what did you make of the substitutions? Well, Anneni and Coughlin aren't like for like. Uh, now, that still needs to be proved. But, you know, Arson's been very clear on how he views them. And when I've seen them, you know, when I've seen Elneny play, he looks much more the Ramsey competitor than the Coughlin competitor. And for this game, you know, you needed to change something. So I get why it was Coughlin who would have taken off anyway. But... He's not a like-for-like. Uh, I've really liked him when I've pl- seen him play. Now, he hasn't played in the tough games, and he hasn't proved it on the big stage. But he's quick, fluid. I like his passing. He seems to get the distribution thing to some level more than our current midfield does. Um, so I was I kind of got the El Nenny substitution. Um, the Giro one, of course, made sense, not only from the... The, the, our frustrations with Theo and how he was being used, but also he could drop into midfield and help them out and get some some circulation of the ball and some triangles going. Um, I didn't have a huge problem with the substitutions. It will be felt a little bit like throwing a, a lamb to the slaughter. Uh, and when he's played really well for us recently, he's played, you know, in the center of the park. Um but I, uh, you know, I think. He, can, can I throw yeah. my two cents there, just real quick? Sure. Will be see what what I what I saw, and and I guess I didn't really understand what he was doing with the substitutions. Um, I mean, Elneny for Coughlin. I guess he was just thinking, you know, Coughlin still back from injury, not as much of a of an offensive threat. Um, so he wanted to, you know, br- bring in a guy that that he felt could contribute more to the buildup I get you know I'm I'm sort of spitballing here but yeah I think I think that's right with respect to Awobi and and maybe I kind of misunderstood what was happening at the time but you know we talked about how the the play was being built up right and we, we had no control in midfield and my my thought at the time anyway was maybe what he was doing was trying to get an extra body in midfield. Yeah. You know, that that, that was the idea. That it's not where he Wobie played, would, was it? Well, no. I, I See, my thought was, look, Ramsey clearly is not helping us create any possession, build up the play from the back. So I thought maybe what he was going to do is put a Wobie closer to Elneny and let Ramsey go back to trying that sort of nominally right-wing role with Giroud and, and, and Ozil and Alexis and try to get a little bit more possession, a little bit more control in the buildup, but he didn't really do that. And that really surprised me um, because I that would have made that substitution make sense. But really, he kind of brought him in to play up front as a forward, didn't he? 
He did, but I mean, he's. Uh, I kind of get it. It just didn't work. Uh, he's said before about it. We'll be having a knife for goal, and uh, you know, in the the preseason, he scored a corker, and you know, he he is a goal scorer. So I understand bringing on another offensive threat to run at them and maybe give a bit of skills trickery and something to handle on that wing, but it just but, but, didn't work. Didn't we? Wasn't. See what I thought we were crying out for was more control of the midfield. You know, yeah, more, but that was El Nenny. Yeah, okay, I guess I, El Nenny. I, I thought we needed another body in the midfield to give us some some control and really put their back four under pressure by getting the ball into the final third and then ha- forcing Carrick and Blind to but to track you Alexis's keep some runs wins to, too with Giroud. So you know, I think what you got extra in midfield from the substitutions was you got El Nenny and you got Giroud dropping back to help out and uh you know create triangles before running forward hopefully get out wide get some crosses into Giroud but really not much got into Giroud. Uh Wobi was for whatever reason ineffective maybe it was kind of uh, go, the game came at him like a buzzsaw, but basically he spilled the ball every time it was played out his way. Don't want to be har- too harsh on the young lad. He's done very well when he's played for us in the center of the park, even if it's FA Cup games. Um, so uh, I kind of get the idea, but it, 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 you know, it was misjudged. It didn't work, and Iwobi didn't end up doing anything for us on the right. And so... It was law, you know. That you can't really bring on somebody on the right to to put in crosses because that's not what Alexis does, and it no. failed. Uh, and you put pressure on Bellerin, so Bellerin couldn't get forward because Awobi couldn't hold onto the ball. So you, in fact, it killed the right side of our attack. So nothing was really getting in. That made us narrower. Of course, it puts pressure on the midfield. El Nani never really got going particularly either. Uh, it just it didn't work. None of it worked. I mean, Gabrielle played 89 passes. Lauren Koscielny played 72. The next most passes were played by Aaron Ramsey at 62. You talk about a midfield where we routinely have guys like Arteta play close to 100 passes a game yeah. or Ramsey play 80 or Ozil play 90. I mean, Ozil played 51 passes. Yeah. Ramsey played 62. Francis Coughlin 30 passes in 70 minutes in midfield. Yeah. Now he completed them at 93%, which is fantastic. But you look at that and it just tells you everything you need to know. Gabrielle and, and Koss had the ball at their feet. They didn't have anyone to give it to in midfield. Hector Bellerin at 49 passes, you know, played almost as many as Ozil, almost as many as Ramsey. He played more than Coughlin. If you look at Monreal at the other side, 45 passes, more than our midfielders. So they were the, the, the center backs were getting the ball. They had no one to give it to in the middle of the park. They were giving it to the fullbacks who were then, you know, pressed up against the, the touchline with nowhere to really give it. Part of the problem you have is Alexis Sanchez doesn't have a lot going, you know, going for him right now. How much is that hurting us? The fact that, you know, he's, it's not really happening for him at the moment. I mean, sometimes when, the system isn't clicking. You rely on your stars for individual moments of brilliance. 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 We we had plenty of brittle. Brilliancy. Um, yeah, brilliancy. Where's the brilliancy from Alexis? It's not there, and I I, I think it's drag. It's clearly dragging him down a bit. Uh, there are times when he's holding on to the ball too much, trying to make force something to happen when there's a pass on for somebody else. 
he's kind of drifting into the midfield because he's getting frustrated, waiting for something to happen on his side, you know. It's one of those things when nothing's happened for anyone, it's not happening for everyone. And, you know, he, he takes plenty of shots, him and Ramsey, but they're not scoring. So our... The fact that our shot totals might be reasonable, uh, you can disregard half those shots because at the moment it's Alexis and Ramsey and they're right now they're never going to score. Um, you know, just our possession's been frittered away and uh, the frustration, uh, more than anything, uh, I think they're all incredibly frustrated at themselves and the plan or plans and that it's not working. Um, I I think the other thing we must allow for, although this was a, a shit United team we were up against, uh, I've always liked Ander Herrera. I've always liked Schneiderlin. I've always liked Mata. Um, and this is one of the few times that Van Gaal, because he had to, let them do their thing. They're very, you know, two of those guys are extremely hardworking and effective, and one of them's quite clever. And it were you know against our midfield, which doesn't particularly function, it's why we had so much trouble. Um, so it was the one area of the park where United didn't need any excuses. I mean, look, it, it, there to me there was so little tactical intelligence on display on our part. Yeah. Though you have Varela pick up a yellow card. What was it? Eight minutes into the match yeah. or something. I cannot remember another time he was put under pressure. Anyone ran on him, yeah. or anyone tried to take the ball outside on him and force him. I mean, he he looked scared of Alexis when he made that challenge, yeah. and then never had to make another challenge like it again in the match. The same thing for Carrick on a yellow card. I don't know that it was early, but relatively early. I yeah. feel like if you have fifty percent of their back four on a yellow card early in a match. That's a huge advantage because they can't – they have to be very, very careful. And no one really sought to exploit that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to me, that's just a lack of awareness, tactical awareness about what's happening on the pitch. Um, and, I, you know, I just think, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of that right now. And that, that brings us, obviously, to the tough part of the conversation, which is the manager's responsibility and all this. I don't think his comments after the match helped him. Um, he made – Reference to the fact that Manchester United still had a lot of money spent out there and a lot of experience in midfield, which I think had a lot of Arsenal fans saying, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to spend a lot of money. Um, And, you know, he he mentioned that, you know, maybe we're a little bit down from Barcelona, but then in the same breath said, we won't have an eye on the United game when we play Swansea. Um, You know, I I have great respect for Arsene Wenger with a lot of things he does, but I've, I've had questions for a while about, how he coaches the team and prepares them to go into games. I mean, the way we played basically since December is pretty hard to watch, and it's been pretty clear something isn't working. This was felt like a culminating event in that run of fixtures. How much responsibility do you want to lay at the feet of the manager here, and and do you think that we're seeing now a system that just is not working anymore? Um. So if you stop time now, then, yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Obviously, they have some games ahead of them where they can turn this around and where the manager can. But if you stop... Can I ask you a quick question on that, though? And I'm sure. sorry, I know everyone criticizes me for interrupting, but I, I want to pick up on that just real quick. Which is strange, because I do you, you, more interrupting than you do. But anyway... No, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible about it. But you, you know what? Look, 
if you had to place a bet right now, gun to your head, $100 bet, yes or no, do you see an indication that the system and the midfield and the problems we've been discussing is about to turn? I mean, No, is, I don't see there, it. And, okay, okay, so then keep going. I was just curious because you're right, there are games left, but what's, what's the indication that he's going get, to get it right? Well, there's no indication that he's going to get it right, and I feel pessimistic, but... And everybody does. And I think that's yeah, why everybody... happened. Yeah. And people are despondent. I get that. But as the man said, you know, that's what they need to respond to. This is... That's the challenge. It wouldn't be the first time that uh, a great story was written, written in sports by people getting their shit together and coming back strong. But the reason it's a great story is because it's somewhat unlikely. So we're in a tough spot and it's pretty fucking depressing. And there's not much that you can see over the last... I do accept his, his viewpoint on Barcelona taking having a lot of impact on us. And you can say that afterwards. You don't say it beforehand. Just as I understand his point on saying, well, we're not going to look back at United when we play Swansea. It doesn't actually mean it won't have an impact. But anyway, it is what it is. Uh, they didn't play, they they screwed up against Barcelona playing a great well I would argue a pretty good 70 minutes uh, but a lousy 90 minutes that's on them and they carried that with them to United and played in something a little bit of a funk uh, and certainly without the plan required to win that game and now they're on to Swansea and they better bloody snap out of it like tomorrow and then they need to get a, a, a rousing performance and some points at White Hart Lane probably the win um, but it, here's my counterpoint if we won both of those games which seems unlikely what would we what would our perspective be then so it is kind of game by game even if you can say there's been a pattern since Christmas or whenever well, yeah, there has, but there's been a couple of other games that we actually played pretty well. We just didn't finish. But overall, yeah. So, you know, patterns are patterns till they stop. I get it. But, but two things I'll say to that. First of all, I think it's acceptable in isolation to look at how this team played in Manchester United and say it's just an unacceptable performance. I agree. Tactically, yep. effort-wise, energy levels, the sure. whole nine yards. I think you can also look at it in the context of how they've been playing for eight, 12 weeks or so and say sure. the rot has been there. You know, it, we talked about this through some of our podcasts in January. It was pretty clear that we were getting away with it, kind of, sort of, yeah. with that Flamini Ramsey midfield. And, you know, yeah. we just need to wait till Cochran came back. And then there were signs that maybe Ramsey Cochran doesn't work also. And we need another body in midfield. And we've just kind of stuck with it, yeah. and nothing's changed. And, you know, I've always been a believer, Paul, and this is just I, – I, I can't base this on anything because I'm not a professional athlete anymore, yes. uh, ever. Um, I think players want instruction. They want to be over-trained, over-instructed. I think they want to be micromanaged to some level because here's what they want. You go out on a pitch or a basketball court or uh, American football field or baseball diamond, whatever it is, and when you start to see the opposition doing exactly what your coach or your manager said they were going to do, and when you continue to find yourself in the right position properly prepared, it fills you with confidence and you go, they're doing what we thought they were going to do. 
they're doing what we expected. They're, they're, we're in the right place. We're prepared. And suddenly you have that confidence that we know what we're doing. And we're, we're working as a unit and our game plan is coming off. And you get that, you get that sense of confidence. I, you know, even in the very, very limited athletic endeavors I undertook as a younger person, I remember that when you prepared for your opponent and the game plan worked, it was a very reassuring feeling. And I think, you know, there's something to be said for saying to talented players, go out there and express yourself. But the minute the other team shuts that down and you don't have a plan, I think it's very hard to recover then on the pitch. It's very, And that's where you need leaders. That's where things like leadership come up. Leaders who can say, all right, this isn't working and, and help drag you out of that. But I think you look at Arsenal, a team that, you know, comes out of the block a lot of times in games really lethargic and, and underperforms early on a lot of matches. And I don't know that it's necessarily down to being lethargic. I think it's because... They don't always know what to expect from their opposition. They don't always look appropriately prepared for what they're going to see in a way to break it down. And we are a team that really lines up in the same formation with the same tactics and the same approach a lot. And people say, no, that's not true. Look what we did against Barcelona. I'm not a huge believer that getting pinned into your own half is different tactics. I mean, you know Barcelona is going to have all of the ball, so you sit deep that's not like you hired a you know a team of analytics experts to tell you that. So to um, be fair, that's not really what happened in Barcelona. No, we pressed a little bit. Yeah, actually, and it was right. a pretty you know open game. You know, I, I take your overall point. I definitely think it's a school of thought and probably probably the predominant school of thought, but it's not the only way of doing it. Uh, that's fair. My, my preference is that the manager knows to, when to step in when he sees that vacuum and – that's what I feel he got right against United, got wrong against United. Uh, there came a point where clearly shit wasn't going to happen of its own doing. And he made his substitutions and he got them and our formation wrong. You know, you can give him the first 60 minutes as letting the boys. Uh, it's not like there is no plan. Because, you know, we can't say on the one hand we do the same thing every game and then say there's no plan. But I understand your point in terms of plans need to evolve based on, on how the, your opponent is playing and your game situation and what's not working. So we didn't – what we adapted to ended up just being a bit of a nothing and incredibly frustrating. Uh, you know, you go back to a Wobie on the right, whatever that was supposed to be, Nothing happened. It was a minus, not even a zero. I mean, it, it took away that whole wing, and you got Alexis on the other side, and he's frustrated and frustrating. And, you know, to me, Giroud was as invisible almost as Theo in the first 60 minutes, and that's not to absolve Theo, but that just tells you you, br you brought on a target man and you couldn't hit the target for 30 minutes. So Well, this is, this is the other thing. Look, when you... When you know you need better forward than you have and you don't buy one and you know you need better central midfielders or at least another good quality central midfielder and you don't buy one, okay, fine. But then if you don't do that, the players you do have have to execute an effective game plan even more. The less talent you have, the more effective your tactics have to be, right? Because tactics can bridge the gap to talent, right? I mean, I'll put it this way. If you took the 11 best players in the history of football and put them on a pitch and lined them up against a third division side, they're going to win. They're just going to win because talent alone is going to win out. But the reason you see 
upsets in football. And the reason you see minnows beat bigger teams, things like that is they have a good game plan. They're tactically aware. They're, they're keyed into what they're supposed to do and their tactics and their commitment to those tactics can bridge a gap in talent. The problem for us right now is we didn't strengthen our talent and our tactics aren't enough to bridge the gap. And so in a game like against United, where the midfield is totally dysfunctional, the, the engine, you know, they call it the engine room for a reason. When the engine doesn't fire, the team just falls apart. Now, the question here is the ramifications of this. So I, we'll, we'll keep it pretty simple without going over the deep end here. But first, for you, where did this leave your appraisal of our title pop probability? Uh, low. I'm clinging on to Michael Cayley saying we're basically in a three-way race with Leicester and Spurs, but I don't see it. Um, you know, I just... What about... I mean, you're going to rule out City? I mean, the reality is... Oh, yeah, yeah, like sorry. They're clicking yeah, yeah. a little bit. Uh, uh, I, I've, I tend to rule out City because they shouldn't get back into it. But I agree with with Tim that they have every chance of getting back into it. They've got the team, the experience... The uh, the team. Did I mention team already? I think well, I, I mean, I, I think also there's little. You know, they they just pounded Kiev in the Champions yeah. League. They won the they won the Capital One yeah. Cup. They may have a little bit of mojo. Yeah. You know. Um. So, but but so you you're not you're not feeling very good about it. I mean, no. give me a percent. If if you had to say right now, Arsenal's percent of title uh, winning the title this year. Right. My gut feel would be our chances of winning this are less than 25%. Okay. Uh, I'd say 20%. But I'd also say I don't really want to give a number now for another week or so because we need to see these. You know, it's one of those things. There are two games just around the corner that will tell us, will give us a huge amount more data. But you push me for an answer now, I'd say 20% 20 or just below. I Yeah, I mean, I think the problem for me is if he keeps putting Ramsey in midfield, I think we keep losing. And that's not because I don't rate Ramsey as a player. It's because I don't rate Ramsey as a central midfielder in a two. Hey, Lester Drew Especially. with West Brom. Sorry. Yeah, that's yeah good. I, am, I am aware of that. I wasn't. Yeah, that is good. That's going to really help Spurs win the team. Um, so uh, uh. then there's another question, which is this. All right, look, Guardiola at City. Let's say, just for sake of argument, Jose at United. Let's say it's Simeone, Simeone at Chelsea. Okay. Uh, Sugar Daddy at Everton, okay. Spurs with the seemingly competent coach and a new stadium coming, and West Ham with a new stadium. The league isn't getting any easier. If we don't win it this season, how big a missed opportunity do you see this, and how big. damning is it for the manager who, in the past, maybe was was given a pass both Fairly because damning. of lack of resources. And because of the fact that it was the Chelsea's and cities of the world that were winning it instead of us. Pretty damning. I mean, uh, you know, if we get our shit together and look like a good team that can challenge and still don't win just to the end, you could maybe debate what the hell took us so long, but come out of it feeling there's still there's still reason to to believe there's a way forward. But if it kind of peters out the way it's pe- it feels like it is of this Tuesday afternoon, then uh, I would say, you know, uh, I, I let me put it this way. I would fully understand any other Arsenal supporter saying enough's enough. I might be curious to see what one more year might do, but I wouldn't hold the rest of you to it. 
Well, the thing people forget in this conversation, without piling on Arsene Wenger, like eventually he's going to go, yeah. right? Eventually. Yep. Whether it's on top, on bottom, yeah. that sounded weird. But you know what I mean? Yeah. He's going to go. So, like, it's not blasphemy to say he's got to go eventually. And, like, there's an argument to be made that the the time for him to go would be when it looks like for all the great things he's done for the club, he's kind of stagnated maybe. And that, you know, look, even the greatest people at their jobs in the world reach a point where fresh ideas and, and new people in the position, however you want to, however you want to put it, that they, they just can't, their message doesn't get through anymore. Look, Klopp failed at Dortmund in his last season. That doesn't mean Klopp is a bad manager. You know, he was Dortmund's one of their, you know, revolutions. So, We'll see what happens, but I, I do think the scary thing here is the missed opportunity. If we don't win the title, I could see things being a lot more difficult going forward. Now, we could get stuck into this for a couple more hours and go down a really dark path, but there's a game tomorrow. We were slow getting this up. It's just two-person chat, so there's no need to do that. Let's hope we have something more uplifting to discuss after Swansea. Um, Paul, if you had to guess right now, you see a, you see a response from the team? I don't against Swansea tomorrow. I have no idea. I'm I'm into hope and prayers. I mean, we could and should. Will we? I don't know. I don't know. Really don't. Yeah, I I, I genuinely agree. I don't know what to say because ultimately, you know what? The players are good enough to win every game. I I don't see anything about the w- way we're playing right now that if we keep going with the system we're using. Yeah. We're going to see much better. Yeah. If your midfield doesn't work, I don't know that your team works. And anyway, Swansea have generally done well against us, and they got to be itching to play us right at well, this Spurs, moment. Spurs so. just beat them. They just beat them. They came back from one nil. So you know you can't have a better measuring stick, right? Yeah. They just Spurs just came back to win after Buckers. being down. Now we play Swansea before playing Spurs. Yeah. So big, big week. I mean, I maybe maybe never... we'll beat Swansea and they'll make us better by playing well. And maybe that'll set us up to beat Spurs. That's all I got. It's great that we have a game between United and Spurs because it, you know we need we need a boost. Need so let's hope they come out and play great. All right. Well, Paul, you, you can find him on Twitter. Pausing in my pants. Um, not a fun game to discuss, but no. thanks for discussing it. Likewise. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We uh, we opted to keep this. Well, by our standards, short and sweet, and and hopefully not too doomy. But it's it's dark days right now. So hopefully. A really good performance against Swansea that lifts us to finding a way to get a result at Spurs at the weekend. Uh, Until then, we'll talk to you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.